Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner. Today, we want to spend our time discussing specifically the cardiac side of things, both in utero and the differences that we're going to see in circulation of babies when they're in utero, and then how that changes as the cord is clamped and we separate from the mother circulation and what adaptations happen as we move forward into the first few weeks to months of life, and then what types of cardiac defects that there can be and how we're going to treat them differently. So the first thing that we want to talk about today is just what normal circulation looks like in utero. And then we'll get into six of the more common birth defects that you may see in practice and kind of the differences between them. But first of all, let's talk about the circulation when the baby is in the uterus. There's going to be three main changes that you'll hear about. So the first one is going to be the ductus arteriosus. The ductus arteriosus is going to be a connection between the pulmonary artery and then your aorta. And so you'll have blood that is going to be able to cross between these two large vessels. Keep in mind that the oxygenation of the baby is going to be from the mom's blood. And so the lungs really aren't in play until after the baby is born. And so this ductus arteriosus is going to allow for blood that would be leaving the pulmonary artery and going to the lungs to travel across to the aorta and move to systemic circulation for the baby. This is just one of the ways that this blood will bypass the lungs. That's going to be in conjunction with the foramen ovale, and that's going to be an opening between your atrium. So you'll have from the left atrium to the right atrium, you'll have a space or an opening And this is going to allow blood that would go to the right ventricle before it's pumped into the pulmonary system. It's going to just cross straight from the right atrium. So you have the inferior and superior vena cava dumping into the right atrium. It'll just go straight across to the left atrium and bypass the lungs completely. So that'll be in conjunction, like I just said, with the ductus arteriosus that is going to take the other blood that goes into the right ventricle that is ejected through the pulmonary artery. Then you'll have that leftover blood that's going to cross over into the aorta from that standpoint. So both of these combined are going to work together to bypass the lungs until the baby is born. I like to think of this as the circulation is starting at the placenta and then I walk myself forward from there. So the placenta is where the oxygenation occurs in the fetal circulation. So after going through the placenta, the blood leaving is coming now back towards the heart. So it's going to be a vein. So this is the umbilical vein and it is going to be oxygenated. And as it's coming back, it's going to come in in close proximity to the liver. Well, we don't really want to waste time having this oxygenated blood go through the liver and pass through cells that are going to take up the oxygen because we want that oxygen to get through the heart and then to the brain and to other organs to provide oxygen to those organ systems. So what the body does here is it does the third change, which is the ductus venosus. And what this does is it, it basically bypasses the liver and connects this umbilical vein directly to the inferior vena cava on the back side of the liver so it can go right into that right atrium. And again, this does this to limit the amount of oxygen that is going to be taken into cells in the hepatic system prior to getting to the heart and the rest of the body. 
So once we bypass this liver through that ductus venosus, we now get into the right atrium, and this is what Tanner talked about comes into play. So there's two things here. We're going to have oxygenated blood coming from the umbilical vein that has gone through this ductus venosus that is converging with the blood from the hepatic system and the rest of the inferior vena cava that is a deoxygenated blood coming back from the systemic circulation. So we're going to have this mixing of deoxygenated and oxygenated blood. Oxygenated blood is a faster velocity, has a faster speed than deoxygenated blood. And this is what allows for that foramenal valley to shift oxygenated blood through to the left atrium. So for the most part, the oxygenated blood is the blood that gets through that foramenal valley into the left side, and that deoxygenated blood continues down to the right ventricle. Again, this isn't 100% one and the other, but for the most part, that's how it does it. I like to think of when you take all your change to the bank and you dump that huge bag of chains out and it all sorts it into quarters and dimes and pennies and nickels all really fast. It's kind of the same thing here where the right ventricle kind of sorts things based on velocity and allows that oxygenated blood to go across and that deoxygenated blood to continue down. The reason we do this is because if that oxygenated blood went down to the right ventricle and up into the pulmonary trunk and through that ductus arteriosus, once it gets into the aorta, it's already past that point of where the circulation branches off that aortic arch to go to the upper part of the body. So that oxygenated blood would then travel down the aorta to the lower part of the body and it wouldn't oxygenate the brain. So by crossing over through the, the atrium, through that foramenal valley, it allows for that oxygenated blood to one, get pumped out through the left ventricle and supply the coronary arteries, which is the one big important thing that we want to do is provide oxygen to the heart itself, but then two, pump up through that aortic arch, through the carotids, up to the brain itself and provide oxygen there. Whereas when we have that ductus arteriosus come in after the aortic arch, now we're supplying the rest of the blood that is oxygenated and mixed with a lot of deoxygenated blood to go down to the lower part of the body. So those are the, the three main things that we want to talk about that are different. The ductus venosus, the frame and ovale, and the ductus arteriosus. So now let's talk about how those change right after delivery. So as soon as the umbilical cord is clamped, you're going to have increased SVR. And so you need to understand pressure changes when you're thinking about where blood is flowing. And so mainly the two pressures that you're dealing with, with your PDA and your foramen ovale is going to be your systemic vascular resistance and then your pulmonary vascular resistance. So as soon as you clamp the umbilical cord, you're going to increase your SVR and that's going to close your right to left shunt. So usually where the blood flow would move from the right atrium over to the left atrium and it would move from the pulmonary artery over to the aorta, this change in pressure, this increase in SVR is going to change these structures. And so this is where you have your foramen ovale close, and that's going to be when your left atrial pressure is greater than the right atrial pressure. Again, that's going to be caused primarily because of the increased SVR. You have your ductus arteriosus that is going to have the now left to right flow or shunt compared to the right to left. And that's going to happen within minutes of ventilation. And then the other thing that you'll have is that the prostaglandins are not going to be coming from the placenta anymore. And so this is another thing that is going to close your patent ductus arteriosus. And so if you remember back a couple of lectures when we talked about pregnancy, 
we talked about not wanting to give COX inhibitors to pregnant patients because that could close your ductus arteriosus. And this is kind of coming full circle here. This is why the prostaglandins are going to be one of the things that keep this ductus arteriosus patent. And so as those prostaglandins are decreased from the placenta, that's another thing that's causing this to close. Your ductus venosus, so like Cole mentioned, that's what's going to be bypassing your liver. That's going to close due to an increase in your portal pressure. And so as the cord is clamped, you're going to have an increase in the portal pressure. This will close your ductus venosus. Great. So now that we understand the physiology and anatomy of this fetal circulation and how things are going to change right after delivery, let's talk about the six cardiac deformities that we could see. So first, we want to talk about the most common abnormality that we would see here, and this is a ventricular septal defect. So basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's where the septum between the two ventricles does not completely close and separate the two ventricles. You have a hole that allows for blood flow to flow across. So this is where when we talk about these six things, you really got to understand pressure gradients. In utero, they really are pretty equal right and left sides. The right's actually a little bit higher than the left, and that's why we have the right to left shift. But once we cut that cord and that baby takes their first breath, it completely switches, as we talked about. SVR is going to increase. Your left side pressure is going to increase. Your pulmonary vascular resistance will decrease because of the dilation of those arteries in the pulmonary circuit, and you're going to have a decrease in the right side of the heart. And that allows for these shunts now to go from left to right. Well, if you think about left to right shunts, if we have blood flow coming through this hole in the middle of the ventricle, if the left side is now at a higher pressure gradient, we're going to have blood that is oxygenated coming back from the lungs into the left side of the heart, into the left ventricle, and now crossing back over into the right ventricle due to that left pressure being higher. So this is going to eventually cause pulmonary hypertension because we're going to have so much blood dumping back into that right ventricle and going out into the pulmonary circuit. So at the beginning, you're not going to have cyanosis because you're still getting oxygenated blood to flow out of that left ventricle to the rest of the body. It's just not as much as what you would have because some of it is going to the right ventricle. However, what can happen though is over time, more and more of that blood getting dumped back into the right side can cause pulmonary hypertension and can eventually lead to a right to left shunt because the pressure in the right side of the heart becomes so great due to the backflow of pulmonary hypertension that you can cause cyanosis by shifting deoxygenated blood from the right ventricle back over to the left side. So this is what we call Isiminger syndrome, where a left-to-right shunt turns around to a right-to-left shunt due to the pulmonary system becoming hypertensive and developing a greater pressure than the left side, and it's shifting back to the left side of the heart and providing a cyanotic shunt. So the next one we want to talk about is Tetralogy of Fallot. This is going to be your most common cyanotic disease that you'll see. The main indicator here is that you'll see four things, hence the name Tetralogy of Fallot. So this is kind of easy if they give you these four symptoms. You're pretty easily able to identify that this is the complication that you're thinking of. But it's important to think through the pathophys of this still. So first of all, the first sign you'll see is stenosis of the pulmonary valve. This will lead to decreased blood flow to the lungs. Because of that, you'll have hypertrophy of the right ventricle. So that's the second thing that you'll see is a hypertrophy of the RV. The third thing you'll see is a large VSD. So this is what Cole just talked about with the ventricular septal defect. And then the fourth thing that you'll see 
as an overriding aorta. What you're going to see here is a shunt from right to left. And so think about this. If you have increased pressure in the right ventricle because you have the stenosis of the pulmonary valve, it's going to be a lot of pressure there in the right ventricle. And then you have a VSD. So you have a gap between the right ventricle and the left ventricle. So this is going to cause blood flow to move directly from the right ventricle to the left ventricle, bypass the lungs, and then you have an overriding aorta. So this is just going to be pumped right out to the systemic circulation. And so this is where you can see cyanosis because you're just bypassing the lungs. It's still going to have some ejection into the pulmonary circuit, but since there is that gap between the ventricles and there's such high pressure there, you're going to have quite a bit of blood flow that's going to bypass the lungs. Something that's common with these patients is TET spells. And so this is when they're doing activity and their oxygenation decreases because of that right to left shunt. And so something that they'll naturally do is kind of squat down and almost like a vagal picture. And what that's doing is increasing their SVR artificially. And so it's kind of rebalancing the pressure gradient, causing more of the volume that's ejected from the right ventricle to go into the pulmonary circuit instead of just going right across to the left ventricle. So we can do this artificially. If you have a patient that is symptomatic, you can give things to increase SVR. So you can give phenylephrine or something similar that would just crank up that systemic vascular resistance. That would help cause the blood flow to be more restricted instead of going systemically to stay in that right ventricle and go to the pulmonary system. Awesome. So the next one we want to talk about is transposition of the great arteries. And this is exactly, again, what it sounds like. It's when you have your pulmonary artery coming out of your right ventricle normally and your aorta coming off your left ventricle normally, and they're flipped. So as a result, the left ventricle is going to pump into the pulmonary artery and the right ventricle is going to pump into the aorta. This is really, really bad because you're going to create two separate circuits. Your left ventricle is going to pump into the pulmonary artery, go into the lungs, and come back to the left atrium and right back into the left ventricle. And you just create a circle there where you oxygenate that blood, but it doesn't go anywhere. It just goes back into the pulmonary circuit. Whereas your right side is going to pump out into the aorta, go to the rest of the body, come back into the right atrium and right back in the right ventricle. And so you have just deoxygenated blood circling. This works in utero because of those three changes that we talked about with the ductus arteriosus, foramen ovale, and your ductus venosus, which allows for blood to cross over from the left to right side. However, when you have delivery of the baby and these shunts are blocked, now you have two complete separate circuits and you're going to have imminent death right off the bat because there's no way to get oxygen to the baby. The only way a baby can survive in this case is if they have some shunts that stay open. So for example, if they had that ventricle septal defect that we talked about before, they're going to be able to have some of the blood cross over. If that ductus arteriosus stays open, if the foramen ovale stays open, if you have an atrial septal defect, any of those things that are going to allow for a connection between the two is the only way the baby's going to be able to survive, but they're still not going to be getting enough oxygen. And so there's going to be interventions that are going to be needed. But the big thing here is if there's none of those shunts, it's going to be an intimate death because there is no way to get oxygen from the left circuit, which is getting oxygenated 
over to the right circuit, which is going to the systemic circulation. All right, moving on to the patent ductus arteriosus. So if you remember, this is one of the things that's necessary for the baby before it's born, but this should close after birth because of those pressure gradients. Let's think about what this looks like if that stays open. So if you have a opening between your aorta and your pulmonary artery, you're going to have increased pressure in your systemic vascular resistance compared to your PVR. And so you'll have a left to right shunt. So that is going to be moving blood from your aorta, already oxygenated blood, back to your pulmonary artery. And so you'll have already oxygenated blood shunting back into the pulmonary artery that will then go through the lungs again. Your oxygen levels are going to go up because you're over-oxygenating this blood. If this is left untreated, this can cause pulmonary hypertension the later it goes untreated. And so if you have increased blood flow back to the pulmonary artery and that's going through the lungs, it just makes sense that you have increased resistance and a pulmonary hypertension picture. As that pulmonary hypertension would develop, you can actually get a right-to-left shunt And so that's when you'd actually see cyanosis because then remember that the blood would be going from the pulmonary artery to the aorta. And so this is bypassing the lungs. And so you'd get blood going systemically that has never been oxygenated. So initially just think left to right, we're going to be hyper-oxygenating. As that blood flow is increased, then you'll see a pulmonary hypertension picture. That pulmonary hypertension picture can eventually lead to a right to left shunt and that's where you'd start to see cyanosis. To treat this, you can give endomethacin. This is going to be a COX inhibitor. It's going to cause that PDA to close. Keep in mind that prostaglandins are one of the things that will keep that PDA open. So by giving endomethacin, ideally you can close that patent ductus arteriosus. Next, we want to talk about an atrial septal defect. So atrial septal defects can really go undiagnosed for years, and it's simply because the pressure systems in the atrium are not near as different compared to the ventricles right and left. So these low pressure atriums are gonna have this hole that remains open and allows blood flow to cross back and forth. It's usually an acyanotic defect that, like I said, is not really gonna be diagnosed for years typically. But the big thing that we're concerned with is if they do have a atrial septal defect, the patient is gonna be at risk for a paradoxical embolism. So let's say a patient does develop an embolism. Typically, it would go into the right side of the heart and into the pulmonary system and cause a pulmonary embolism. That we all know is not a good thing in itself. But let's say that you do have an atrial septal defect. This embolism comes into the right side of the heart, into the right atrium. It can now cross over into the left atrium. And now instead of going out into the pulmonary circuit, it goes out into the systemic circuit and it could go into the cerebral circulation. And so this is what we call a paradoxical embolism, where even though the embolism is on the right side, it can cross over to the left and then go and cause an embolism in the systemic circulation. Typically, this is going to be a left-to-right shunt. Like I said, even though they're both low-pressure systems, the left is still higher than the right side. So you're going to have blood going from the left to the right, which is why it's a acyanotic because oxygenated blood is flowing across rather than deoxygenated blood. And it's important to note here that this is the most common defect that we see in adults. And again, I think this is mainly because it just goes so long without being diagnosed. But the big thing that we're watching out for is that paradoxical embolism. If you do have the right side of the heart form hypertension and backup of blood, then you do have that 
isomager syndrome that I talked about where you can reverse that shunt and you can have blood flowing back to the left side. In that case, you would turn into a cyanotic abnormality, but typically it's acyanotic. All right, to wrap up, we're going to quickly talk about the coarctation of the aorta. And this doesn't need to be overly complicated. This is basically just a narrowing of the aorta. And this will occur generally after the arch and prior to the patent ductus arteriosus. So it's important to keep in mind where this is happening, where the narrowing is happening, because that will come into play when we talk about these pressure gradients and how blood flow is moving. Typically, you have a high pressure system in the left ventricle as that is pumping out to the systemic circulation. If you have a narrowing of the aorta, this is going to cause an increased pressure in that left ventricle, but you need to remember that they're going to have a patent ductus arteriosus. And so right after that narrowing of the aorta, you'll have that connection where blood flow can move from your aorta and your pulmonary artery. Typically, the blood flow is going to move from the aorta, the high pressure system, over to the pulmonary artery on that PDA. But because you have this narrowing of the aorta and you'll have really, really high pressure right before that narrowing, but really, really low pressure right after the narrowing. And so what this will actually cause is the blood will shunt from right to left because it'll go from the higher pressure pulmonary vascular system to the lower pressure aorta right after the narrowing. And so what this will cause is basically bypassing, again, like we talked about with several of these other ones that will just bypass the lungs. And so you'll get a cyanotic picture here because the blood flow, although it's really high in the left ventricle and right before the narrowing, is really low afterwards. And that's where you'll get that right to left shunt, bypass the lungs, and then you'll see cyanosis here because it's actually a right to left, even though you would think it's a really high pressure on the left side. Yeah. And it's also good to understand that if you do have that preductal coarctation, because after the coarctation, it's less pressure. You, like Tanner said, you're going to have that right to left shunt and you're going to have that cyanotic picture. It's easy to diagnose that when they're younger. If the coarctation is narrowed after the ductus arteriosus, then it's not going to be cyanotic because that pressure system in the aorta prior to the coarctation is going to be increased. And if that ductus arteriosus goes into that section, you're not going to have that right to left shunt. And so you're going to be acyanotic and it's not diagnosed as frequently. With that in mind though, with the, the preductal coarctation where you are cyanotic, we want to monitor their pulse ox in their upper extremity, specifically their right arm, simply because the blood flow in your aortic arch going to your cerebral circulation and your arms, et cetera, are going to be prior to that coarctation. So that's going to be a different SpO2 than if you measured in the lower extremity, which is after that ductus arteriosus has provided deoxygenated blood. So keep that in mind. If you want to monitor what the cerebral oxygenation is, use it in the right arm. And I think that really wraps us up here with fetal circulation and the different congenital heart defects that we can see. Hopefully this makes more sense and this provides a better picture as to some of the 
deformities that we can see and how we can go about treating them or what we should do to not make them any worse.